Welcome to the Redeemer Covenant Church Podcast. Thanks for listening. At Redeemer, we are dedicated to following Jesus and connecting people to God's transforming love. If you want to stay connected to all that's happening here, visit rcctulsa.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Well, let me say good morning, and you can say it back like, well, we tried this last week and we're unsuccessful, but we'll try it again. Say good morning back like you're looking forward to some warmer temperatures. Good morning. Let's turn to Acts chapters 1 and 2 uh, in your Bible. If you forgot your Bible or if the Bible's new to you and you're just looking into this story of Jesus, there's a red Bible available to you right in front of you in the chair. Uh, in Acts chapter 1 and 2, we want you to find it quick and easy. That's page 1690. Acts 1 and 2, page 1690. A quick recap of last week. I encouraged you, pleaded with you to take intentional time in this Easter season to rejoice in the resurrection, to remember your baptism, to return to habits of spiritual formation, to reflect on the birth of the church, and to receive gifts of the Spirit, to take intentional time to stretch out this Easter tide season and not just celebrate the resurrection on Easter Sunday, but to let it breathe because the story breathes in Scripture. We looked at Eastertide, the timeline of events, which began on Maundy Thursday, the Last Supper with Jesus and the apostles, where Jesus was then betrayed and arrested. Good Friday, Passover, a Jewish holiday celebrating liberation for God's people from slavery in Egypt, and of course, Jesus crucified, and Easter Sunday, I encouraged you last week, uh, whenever I say the R word, to respond like you believe it's true and you're thankful. So we celebrated the resurrection. And I know y'all slept a few times since then, so we'll try one more time. You ready? The resurrection. Good. The 40-day period following uh, multiple appearances where Jesus is preaching on the kingdom of God, and he says, look, I know you're afraid right now, but touch me. I have skin and bones, and they even fed him dinner. Uh, so he is appearing, and then his ascension on the Mount of Olives, he's with his disciples, and he's carried up into heaven, and then Pentecost, meaning 50th or 49th day since the Passover, the descent of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to look at Pentecost today, and I gave you a date for the ascension last week. The date for Pentecost, according to this Eastertide season, is Sunday, May 20th. If you're throwing a party, Andrea and I would love an invite. Acts chapter 1, starting with verse 3, this is prior to the ascension, but it sets the stage for Pentecost. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. And we see in scripture multiple times that Jesus refers to the gift of the spirit. He says, I've, I've come from the father. I've been sent and now I must return, but don't worry. I am sending one. So they've heard this for John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy spirit. And then in verse nine, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. The ascension probably stunned the disciples wondering, who is the Holy Spirit? 
What is the Holy Spirit? Where is the Holy Spirit? And where did Jesus say he was going again? Right? Like, this seems irrational. Jesus wants us to follow his example, to emulate his lifestyle, and that's, that's hard already when we're with him in the flesh and we're walking with him and doing life and ministry with him, but now he's gone. He's left us. This is irrational. How am I supposed to model his example when he's leaving? Where'd he go? Why can't we be with him? But they stayed in Jerusalem, as they were told to do, and they waited And in Acts 2, 1 through 4, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Christ ascended unexpectedly, and the same is true about his descent in the form of the Holy Spirit, totally unexpected. The Spirit did not need a stage manager offering any cues. This is your time to enter the scene. Go, ready, go. But the arrival of the Holy Spirit was perfectly timed, designed by God, orchestrated to be a total surprise, and right away, right away the disciples would have remembered all those times that Jesus made that promise, I'm going to send one, I'm going to send one, I'm going to go, but I'm going to send one. The spirit that was promised in perfect timing was provided, the Holy Spirit unleashed on creation. God is a promise keeper. He said, I'm going to send my spirit, and he sent his spirit. And remembering this and preaching this and believing this in our hearts, it's not just about reliving this historical event, but this is about yielding ourselves to the promise that God delivered on, yielding ourselves more and more to him as he's drawing us deeper into communion with him. So last week, I offered five implications of the ascension. And this week, I'm going to give you four implications of Pentecost. Now, I realize this sermon is scratching the surface of all of the content and scripture of the Holy Spirit. I get that. So I'm I'm gonna do the best I can for the next 90 minutes, but really, it's impossible to preach this content. This is an overview. This is a condensed overview of Pentecost. And my hope is that it inspires further study in your life starting tomorrow morning that you're not sitting here today thinking you're going to hear everything A to Z on the Spirit of God from me, but instead you're going to go dig and you're going to study and you're going to search the heart of God. Implications of Pentecost, you ready? And by the way, I love preaching through uh, texts and passages of Scripture verse by verse, but when I get to go with points instead of passages, I'm going to make them all start with P for your convenience so you can remember them. All right, you're welcome. Number one, Praise, implication of Pentecost in our lives. Praise, John 4, 24, God is spirit and his worshipers must worship him according to the song choices of Allison and the worship team. God, thank you for that courtesy laugh. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. In the spirit and in truth, God is spirit, 
We are created spiritual beings, and so worship is spirit-to-spirit union. It's spirit-to-spirit communication. And here's the good news. This is the best news for some of you today. If you don't hear anything else, hear this. God doesn't ration his spirit. He doesn't say, I'm going to give you half of my spirit today and three quarters of my spirit tomorrow. On Tuesday, you can expect 45 minutes of my spirit. He doesn't ration his presence in your life, but he wants to fill you. It says they were filled with the Holy Spirit at the descent at Pentecost. So fully yielded that nothing else can take residence in who you are. That your soul can't accommodate anything else or anyone else. It has first yielded so much to the presence of the Holy Spirit that you're filled. We just got a puppy. Her name is Sassy. I know, it's adorable. Pray for me. It's like having a newborn all over again. Except our newborns, when they were newborn, pooped in diapers. And she poops on the carpet. Has this perfect little spot that she's picked out on the rug. I don't know if I can say that in church. I'm sorry if you're offended. But that's what happens. Do you know, what? I, I, as I was thinking about this sermon this week, I was holding Sassy right after a meal, and I was rubbing her tummy, and it's about the size of a melon. And I thought to myself, this dog really loves me two times a day. Breakfast and dinner. That's it. Every other minute of the day, I think she's just faking it, just waiting on breakfast and dinner. When she hears the sound of the food hitting the metal bowl, her tail wags uncontrollably as she aggressively turns the corner in the kitchen, pushing everything out of her way, ignoring everyone else, just wanting the food. And I realized Sassy loves the feeling of being full. Right? I tell my kids, a scoop and a half of food. If you give her 10 scoops, she's going to eat all 10 because she loves the feeling of being full. Listen to me. You are designed to be full of the Spirit. You are God's people. You're not about to go out and get a, a scoop and a half of the Holy Spirit. You are designed to enjoy the feeling of being filled up by His Spirit, by His presence that you can't help but to wag your tail uncontrollably, right? You're just that happy to be designed to not experience just a a taste, a glimpse of God's Spirit, but to literally be so full and to enjoy that invitation of fullness. As a response to being filled with the Holy Spirit, we praise. That's our response. We can't help but to do anything else. As we, as we read in that, that passage from Psalm earlier, because your love, God, is better than my life, my lips will glorify your name. Our response to his filling us with his presence is to praise. Second, power. By a show of hands, anybody annoyed with Satan? Anybody, just me, yeah, anybody annoyed, you're aggravated by his constant attack, constant coming at you, attacking your thoughts, your relationships. I'm sick of it too. I'm sick and tired of him. Listen to Romans 8 too. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of the sin that leads to death. Come on, somebody. 
The power of the life-giving spirit has freed you because you don't have to live in the trap of sin. You don't have to keep walking into the snares of sin. You don't have to feel helpless and hopeless anymore. His spirit has set you free. You have power over the grip of sin in your life. Yes, there is power behind sin. Yes, our enemy has been given power and authority to an extent on this earth. You guys realize Satan only has authority and power because he's given permission, right? He's not equal to God. It's not a wrestling match between God and Satan. God's given him authority to have power on earth for this time, this temporary time on earth. And our trials... As hard as they may be, they purify us, they test us, they give us something in our lives that we lack. They mature us and they complete us, but sin has power. Peter calls Satan a roaring lion looking for someone to devour, and lions roar because they're hungry. They're expressing severe hunger pains. They roar to intimidate their prey, and he's roaring at you each and every day, and you don't have to listen to it. You can rise above it because you've been set free by the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. This is when the roar of the intimidating lion turns into a little uh, ugly kitty cat because all cats are ugly. Our greatest weapon against sin. See, we see the fruit of the Spirit as how we treat each other. We're going to be all happy in our families, right, because the fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is our greatest weapon against the power of sin. When you are submitted and yielded to the Holy Spirit, when you invite him in, when he occupies who you are and he fills you, you are given love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And those are the fruit of the Spirit. And yes, they determine how we operate, how we behave in our relationships, how we think. But listen, the fruit of the Spirit doesn't give you any power over sin. It's of the Spirit And it affects your thoughts and your behaviors. But you know what gives you power over sin is when you take the fruit of the Spirit and you put legs to it and you start walking in the Spirit. Because I can say all day long, I possess love because I'm a Christ follower, but am I loving? As a Christ follower, I possess the fruit of love, but love helps me overcome sin when I start walking in the Spirit. So I don't just possess love, I am loving. I don't just possess kindness, I'm kind. I don't just possess because the Holy Spirit patience, I'm actually patient. I don't just possess faithfulness, I am faithful. I don't just possess self-control, I'm walking in the Spirit and I am going to have self-control. Walking in the Spirit yielding to his control. And trust me, friends, trust me, family, everybody wins when you walk in the Spirit. Everybody. You win. Your spouse wins. Your children win. Your neighbors win. This church wins. You have power over sin in your life when you walk in the Spirit Praise and power, number three, proclamation. Acts chapter 2, 12 through 18. Proclamation, amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Because of what we're seeing happen at Pentecost, what does it mean? Curious, right? They're intrigued. But some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the 11. He raised his voice and he addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk. As you suppose, it's only nine in the morning. A little bit of a sense of humor, Peter. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will 
pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I'm going to pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. This echoes so much of the New Testament, the gospel, that Christ is in all and for all, that he doesn't discriminate. He's not exclusive in who he pours his spirit out on. Christ is all. It says in Colossians, he's all barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, circumcised or uncircumcised, man, woman. He is all. And so we see Pentecost putting a period right here to Eastertide. It's the end of Eastertide. But it's also the beginning. It's the conception of the church. And people asked in that moment when they saw the Holy Spirit come, what does this mean? What does this mean for us? And Peter Consider, this fellow has previously denied Jesus, hasn't he? And he steps up with power and authority, and he steps up with courage and urgency, and he preaches this message of salvation. Go read it in Acts. It's a phenomenal sermon. His very first, and 3,000 people make a decision that day of faith that Jesus is who he says he was, and this is his spirit, and I want all on, bo- on board with this. And Peter doesn't preach a sermon that's soft, and he doesn't preach a sermon that's sensitive, and he doesn't preach to be polite. He's not afraid of hurting people's feelings, but instead, he thought back on how Jesus started his very first sermon, which we see in Matthew 4, 17. Repent is how Jesus began his ministry. You got to make a turn here, because the kingdom of heaven is near, and if you want this kingdom, if you want to be a part of it, you got to walk away from your kingdom. And he remembers how Jesus started his ministry, so he begins, and this is Acts 2.28, just like his teacher did. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And here's the promise, the fulfilled promise, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This very moment, this sermon, this turn in so many hearts, this conception of the church, Pentecost, is when we see the story of Jesus becoming the story of the Jesus movement. Because everybody had heard about Jesus, we know this story, we've heard all sorts of stories about him, but what do we do now? Well, because of Pentecost, it wasn't a story about Jesus anymore, we see the start of a movement. And people are getting on board, people are believing. You too, not just Peter, but you too, have a spirit-verified commission on your life. And should you choose to accept this commission, I'm telling you right now, it is a cause that is unstoppable. Be confident. Should you choose to accept this spirit-verified commission, this cause is absolutely unstoppable because of the Holy Spirit. You are the church. You are Christ's ambassadors. You are Christ's representatives. You are the city on a hill that cannot be hidden. You're the light of the world, and you're the salt of the the earth. You are empowered by the Spirit, and you have this amazing privilege and this amazing responsibility to tell people about Jesus, to trumpet the gospel of Christ in every single place that you go to every single relationship that you have. How, How important is this? This is critical. Critically important that we take this responsibility. These are the days of Pentecost. These are the days of worldwide mission. And you have a responsibility. 
consider there are no more decisive turning points in redemptive history that must take place before Jesus comes back. Open your Bible. You can read a bunch of them. A bunch of decisive turning points in redemptive history to get us to this very place that we are right now. I'm telling you, Christ is coming back. We don't know when, but that's why we're here right now, because we believe it to be true. And we're given very clear instructions. We don't have to figure it out ourselves. We're given very clear instructions. Acts 1.8, you'll receive, there it is, power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And in one verse right here, we're given this geographic context of mission. Check this out. The ends of the earth, Samaria, Judea, Jerusalem. But in the right order, we know that our mission starts in Jerusalem. Andrea and I have the chance a week from now to travel to Egypt, and we're going to be able to serve there and preach there. But if my understanding of mission, according to the context of Scripture, is to the ends of the earth, then look how my perspective and my opportunity to be missional is severely limited. But if I see my mission starting in my Jerusalem, my same context, my same culture, and my same language, then look, my perspective on mission, according to God's word, my opportunity to be missional is enormous. So our mission is not a trip once a year to serve in a third world country. Our mission starts in our backyard. Our mission starts with your colleagues, with your friends, with your kids' friends and their parents and teachers and your waitress today at lunch. Your mission starts with your kids' soccer coach, everybody you interact with. That doesn't apply to me. Brian's right here. He coaches my kids in soccer. He loves Jesus. So I don't, you know, I don't have to preach to him. But listen, every interaction we have, Every single interaction we have, every conversation, every relationship, with years of equity with someone or a complete stranger, everything has to be different because of Pentecost. Everything has to be different. By the way, the book of Acts, the advancement of the gospel, the acts of the development of the church follows this exact movement that we see from Acts 1-8. We see the gospel advancing through Jerusalem from Acts 1 to 7, Judea and Samaria from Acts 8 to 12, and from Acts 13 to 28, we see the gospel advancing to the ends of the earth. We're given that verse, that instruction, toward the very beginning of the book, and the whole book follows that course. Proclamation, evangelism, bearing witness is very much a responsibility and a privilege. And let me tell you something. Nobody can argue with your testimony. When you bear witness, you offer your testimony of what Christ has done, the redeeming work of God in your life. People can argue with the Bible all day long, right? People can argue with the purpose and mission of the church. That's fine. They can come up with arguments all day long that, that they perceive to be believable. And rather than sitting there and forcing them to say, yeah, your Bible is true, I'll just tell them what Jesus has done in my life. I'm just going to tell them how God woke me up one day, how his spirit filled me, and how everything in my life changed because of my salvation in him, because I'm a part of his redemptive story. Nobody can argue with your testimony, because that's what God has done in your life. Four, purpose. Praise, power, proclamation. The fourth one is purpose. If I were to ask you today, do you feel a sense of purpose in your life? 
prompted by the Holy Spirit, what would you say? Do you feel a sense of purpose in your life prompted by the Holy Spirit? Now, I'm going to argue that if the Holy Spirit's prompted any kind of purpose in your life, it may not be popular, it may not be comfortable. It may not be about your fame and your fortune, your security. Do you have that sense of purpose prompted by the Spirit in your life? The fruit of the Spirit is the natural overflow of His power through our thoughts, our actions, our behaviors. But additional to the fruit of the Spirit are the gifts of the Spirit. And Paul urges us, seek these gifts, desire them, stir up these gifts in your life. And we see these gifts in 1 Corinthians 12. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there's given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And still to another, the interpretation of tongues. All of these are the work of one and the same Spirit And he distributes them to each one just as he determines. And it says, for the common good, the good, the strength of the church. So think about it this way. If the fruit of the Spirit is given to you at the moment of salvation, the love and joy and peace, that's like the cake. That's good, right? But the gifts of the Spirit is the icing on the cake. Come on. This is urging us to experience more of who God is. And I realize when I say God has more for you, I realize that that shifts the mood in some of our lives. What do you mean God has more for me? I go to church every week. I go to church almost every week of the year, and I'm in a small group, and I serve on one of the teams at the church. I went on a mission trip. I tithe, and I love my neighbors. I'm good. I got, I got plenty of God, right? But what if I say, God may have more for you? God may have more for you. I saw a picture this week that describes how some of us react when we hear God has more. God says, I got a plan for your life. And this is what it feels like. The Holy Spirit's like, come on, baby, let's go. This is going to be good. This is going to be extravagant. You better buckle up, but you're safe with me. I'm never going to leave you. I'm right here with you. And we're looking at the Holy Spirit like, "Mm -mm." no thanks. I kind of like it the way it is. I'm kind of comfortable here. What if God has more for you? The more we engage with the gifts of the Spirit, the more ammunition we have in our spiritual lives and in this spiritual battle. The more we engage with the Holy Spirit, the more effective our ministry, the greater our contribution to the kingdom of God. Search these things. Let's not be status quo in our faith life. But let's stir up these things. Let's desire more of who God is. Pentecost, God's indwelling spirit participating in our lives results in praise and power over sin and proclamation of the gospel and life-enriching purpose. Let me close by speaking specifically to anyone here who did not enjoy this sermon. You don't have to raise your hands. Let me speak to anyone who did not enjoy this sermon because when I speak about 
God's spirit and you being a spiritual being in the spirit-to-spirit union, you push back and you say, yeah, that's really great. But I can't go there. I, I'm, I just feel spiritually dead. I mean, I, I can't pray. Worship is hard for me. I, I haven't felt alive in God in a really long time. And truthfully, I just feel pretty dry. I can't experience that. Death Valley is the driest and hottest location in North America. And it receives less than two inches of rain per year. As you can see, it's one of the most extreme environments on earth and has a record high temperature of 134 degrees Fahrenheit. However, every 10 to 12 years, consecutive storms sweep through the valley, dropping seven to eight inches of rain in one day, four times the annual average in one day, and the valley explodes. And native plants come to life, and plants that have never been found in this region are discovered. The locals call this a rare super bloom. And here's the deal. The valley is dry and hot and it looks dead. It looks like nothing can live there. But all along the seeds are there. They're dormant and they're waiting. And all they need is a little water. And if you're here today and you'd say, yeah, I've got a seed of faith in my heart, absolutely. But I still feel really dry, helpless, and alone. I I haven't experienced God in a long time. I'll encourage you with this quote from C.S. Lewis. Easter is death working backwards. Easter is death working backwards where whatever is dead can be made alive. So if you feel like I'm speaking straight to you right now, and you say, yeah, I, I feel dry in my spirit. If you feel like I'm speaking to you, I'm not speaking to you. The Holy Spirit's speaking to you. And he is interpreting my words right now to minister to your heart. And so if you'd bow your heads, if that's you today and you're saying, yeah, I, I feel spiritually dry and I want to feel alive again, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to invite you, and I really invite all of you, any of you that maybe you feel alive today, but you're just saying, I want more of God. I'm going to pray, and I invite you to agree with, <clears throat> agree with me in this prayer. As you do, let your spirit commune with the Spirit of God. Let's pray. Come, Holy Spirit. Just as we sang earlier, let us become more aware of your presence right now. I've surrendered to the best of my ability, and I've got a seed of faith planted in my heart, but I long to feel full with your Spirit. I need your power in my life. You're the vine and I'm the branch and all that you are is within me. 
My life flows from you. My lips praise your name. And so right now I yield and I ask for your strength and your wisdom. I yield and I ask for gifts of your spirit. And as I receive, I want to better serve you. I want to better serve the church, serve my family. I want to be a better witness to this hurting world. And it's only in your power and only guided by your spirit will my life ever be fruitful. Holy Spirit, come. I'm born of your spirit. I want to be filled with your spirit. I ask you to empower me with your spirit. Give me opportunities, God, to use your gifts to reveal your love and your mercy and stretch me, God. God, expand my capacity for you. Work in me today in a powerful way. Mighty Spirit of God, bring about purpose in my life. Thank you for flooding the deep places of my heart with your love. Thank you for washing and cleansing my wounds, my scars. Thank you for your compassion. Thank you for being near right now to my pain and my grief, my fear. Thank you for your gentleness and for your comfort. Holy Spirit, I surrender to you. Flow freely in me and through me. Thank you for being my friend, my teacher, my comforter, my counselor, my intercessor, and the giver of extravagant gifts. I praise you, God. I delight in you. I thank you, and I love you. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen.